people aren't capable of being alone with their own minds for that long of a period of time. Nope. Uh -uh. After two or three days, like, dude, the shit that starts to come up, I'm talking like exes you broke up with 15 years ago, shit that happened in your childhood, like, and you just instantly, you will start coming up with excuses that like, oh, I'm being selfish and my family needs me home. And you'll like come up with any, and I know because I've done it. Like I've yeah. gone home early and then driving home, it's like acid in the back of the throat. You're like, you piece of shit. You, you, nobody gives a shit if you're gone. You gave up because you couldn't hack it out there. Welcome to Muttering Pines, the show where us city folk try to cowpoke. We drink beer, talk about ETVs, life outside the city, homesteading, entrepreneurship, and ultimately trying to do stuff with our hands. Hello, boys. <laughs> Matt is giving us the finger. It's, it's what a way to start. Hi. Well, it's one week until spring trip, so I'm I'm pretty excited. So I'm happy to see fingers up. I'm, and not spring in? Spring trip's my favorite. Oh, that'll be later in the week. Yeah. Um, you just got out to your place though, right? That's right. And I, uh, I set up a trail cam finally. And, uh, um, it was one that you gave to me for my, for my birthday, which we're coming up on a year on. And so I set it up, uh, pointed at the tree stand that a more capable hunter left on, on the property that I purchased that, that was up there. So, so that's good. Um, because more capable hunters are how we become more capable hunters. What did you uh, see on your trail cam? Uh, so far, the top of my head. And uh, I think for a little while, if the trees move too much, the sensitivity on the camera would, would trigger the, the photo. So exactly as many animals as I usually see when I'm hunting. Do you think if one of the... Fuck all. If one of the pictures is the top of your head, you might have it aimed a bit high to catch any actual animals. I absolutely have that camera too high, and uh, I'm going <laughs> they're to all just walking down. underneath it. Yeah, so the, the they are, and they're triggering it, and I'm <laughs> taking no pictures of them. <laughs> your skill set is showing even in photography. Terrible, terrible <laughs> shot in all media. Terrible. Yeah. Well, maybe you can learn something today, because we have a guest on. Uh, someone I think probably knows vastly more. In, information just generally if not related to hunting than we do um and who has a, a fairly robust following uh both on youtube and instagram i wonder what that's like it must be nice <laughs> what is that like one day we'll find <laughs> out um yeah we have uh jay nicolon who's the the mindful hunter he's going to be joining us to hopefully teach us something and maybe the people listening <laughs> as long as they don't listen to us that's no problem as long as they got through however long i cut this intro down to they will uh possibly learn something which i'm actually excited for this guy's like does like real world banana shit like huge sheep hunts and he's a bodybuilder and all sorts of cool stuff he can walk up and down mountains without dying yeah, and most of us can't walk up and down flatland. Yeah. He no. brined a fucking bear ham. Did he? Yeah. Oh. 
We should talk to him about that. Uh, yeah, well, you might be able to because he's on right now. So we should probably just get, oh shit. No, before we let him in, we've vastly done this wrong. Cheers. I'm the only one who had a can. Oh, what are you drinking, Matt? Bamboo. Straight up. Bamboo's a rum? Bamboo's a rum. It tastes like uh, flavored rum, which uh, when you have real good rum, it tastes terrible, but this is actually quite drinkable. Scott? I've uh, annexed subtle rice lager. I love it. Giant pabs. And I uh, will get into the Pilsner, but right now I've got um, the latest batch of mead, the lemon berry kind. And I think it's testing in around 15%. So we'll see if I actually make it through this fucking thing or not. All right. Let's not keep our guests waiting. All right. Jay Nickel, how are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, It's a pretty busy day. I just threw together a giant trampoline in about record time in about an hour and a half in my backyard. So I don't, and then I kind of gapped and I started making a steak and then my phone goes, Oh, you got a podcast in 10 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> okay, we better, <laughs> we better head to the basement. We'll eat the rest of this steak how, later. How big a trampoline are we talking here? Okay. So my wife said, did you measure it? And I'm like, well, sorta. And, and she's like, <laughs> so, so you eyed it out. And I'm like, yeah, I eyed it out. So it's a 12 foot diameter trampoline. And I live in East Vancouver. So properties are, you know, somewhat expensive. So like backyard real estate is at a premium. And I thought we might still have a little bit left over for, you know, like, a, uh, like a patio table and stuff. But like, it, we have two parts of the backyard. One's like all gardeny and, and bushy and the other parts like paving stones. And it nuked yeah. the entire pay, like a 12 foot trampoline is a gigantic trampoline. Yeah. Like my seven year old, she's got like acres of trampoline. So I kind of overshot it, but I got dad of the year award going on right now. Yeah. That's every seven year old's dream is I yeah. want the whole backyard to be trampoline. Be trampoline. Right yeah. I'm waiting for the night she has to sleep out there. Yeah. That's, oh, that's there you East go. Vancouver giving your kid a pony. You just pulled it off. Yeah, 100%. So I'll take the, the credit uh, and the good grace for the next couple of days. She'll remember sleeping on the trampoline, though. Those are some of the best memories you can have. Yeah. Under the stars and a sleeping bag on a trampoline. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I can't believe Anyways, you did thanks it. thanks like for having me on, guys. I appreciate it, man. I really do. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming on. This is this is great. Um I mean, like I said, when I reached out, we following your stuff a little bit and it's going through your, you know, been following you on Instagram, listen to a, a few of your podcasts. Um, you have so many and they're so good. I have not gone through them all, I'll admit. But okay, I do want to ask you one thing to start off. Yeah, because shoot, anything. Top of my head. It was, it was a highlight. Can't remember what episode, but you had a guest on. Um, and I can't remember who it was, but you were reminiscing about the old days. And he said something along the lines of, he's like, oh yeah, that was back in the good old days when, you know, you'd call the, the, the moose in and then you had like your chainsaw, but instead of bar oil, you had olive oil in it. And I was yeah. like, what the fuck? That's a thing. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Why haven't, why haven't we done that? A, a food grade chainsaw. Yeah, that was, um, um backcountry carnivores 
It was yes. Danny and Cole. And I want to say it was episode one in five, 105. And those guys are in Bali right now for a month straight. And it's like pretty debaucherous what they're getting up to over there. I'm a little jealous being like an old married guy. Life's kind of, there's no month <laughs> trips to Bali going on. I'm, I'm tapped out of all that nonsense. But yeah, Danny, Danny's old man is super cool too. So that's Danny Gazzola and his old man is David Gazzola. And they're like pretty hardcore BC guys. So Danny's grown up, you know, going on moose hunts and doing all the rest of it his whole life. But I'll be honest, that's the first time I'd ever heard of olive oil as bar oil in a chainsaw. But okay, kind of made good because I why not? I was like, am I missing like a, a, a tradition that hasn't been passed down to me in yeah. some way? Like, did I really miss <laughs> this, or is this totally. these guys just being ballers? Yeah, full blown rednecks. I love it. That's like. I feel like that's something we do. We just haven't been smart enough to think of it yet. No, I I wonder how well the blade actually like splits a spine. It's it would be really interesting to see if you could sever an animal properly without just making, you know, hamburger, hamburger. And shards. Yeah, mm -hmm. just bone mess everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be interesting. Hang on, I got to turn down my heater. Yep. Sure. You guys look like kind of big guys like I am, and I run hot. So if the basement doesn't stay cold, I get overheated quickly. No, that's fair. I didn't turn my heater on enough, so now I'm in like a sweater because I it's totally mismanaged my time today. Um, <laughs> usually uh, when we start off, uh, I think I mentioned this when I emailed you, but we, we usually start off with uh, you know having a beer or a, a, a soda or whatever, whatever you're into. Um are you having any? I know you have a steak on the back burner. Are you having anything to drink at all tonight? Uh, it's kind of funny. You guys probably obviously didn't hear my latest podcast. Which, no. Um, I, uh, I'm, about, I'm, I'm coming up on 15 years clean and sober. Oh, well then, yeah. Um, so I'm not having a beer, but it's all good. Please, please enjoy in my stead. I'm, I'm drinking um, branch chain amino acids instead, which is just fancy fucking sugar water, to be honest with you. Is that like a? Like, I'll try and watch the f bombs. I realize not everybody swears no, on the no, podcast. We, no, so. that's all we use. Are we, we f bomb friendly? All right, okay, we're at home then. <laughs> I think we're probably a little f bomb plus, honestly. Okay. All right, um, perfect. I guess that'll start off my next kind of question. So, if you're drinking branch chain amino acids, does that have to do with your um, foray into bodybuilding at all? Yeah, that is a crazy story and i have to know the details of like what prompted it because you're a fit guy to begin with yeah then you're like you know what just kidding there's even fitter <laughs> maybe the fittest and i'm just gonna go do that for a while so how does how did that happen yeah so this is this is a really interesting story and funnily enough i'll, I'll this is actually gonna loop right back into me getting sober um so when i got sober the first time i was in my early 20s I got sober at this treatment center in Southern Ontario, outside of Barrie, Ontario, called Hope Acres. And it was run by the Salvation Army. And I, other than like a little bit of high school gym and like lifting a couple weights, never had trained before. And they had like a really ghetto gym at this treatment center. And I ended up getting sober with this um, Italian guy, Tommaso Galati who I, to be honest with you, I don't think he's with us anymore. Um, and yeah. he taught me how to work out. 
And that was one of the things that kind of kept me, kept my shit together because I had come from this like super intense lifestyle. Like if anybody's interested, go listen to the podcast, but I'm an ex junkie, yeah. like cocaine started shooting heroin when I was 15. Like I was Billy badass, hardcore junkie for a long period of my life. And then ended up getting sober, pulling it all together. So my brain was hardwired to go like 90 miles an hour all the time. And as soon as everything quiets down, I feel like I'm losing my shit. So the gym for me was like, so, like, like this place of serenity because like I could go in there, I could put really loud music on in my headphones. I could train super hard and I could get that intensity, but I could get it in a healthy way. So we flash forward. I basically train on and off, but it's always in my life. And I'll do, you know, I competed in jujitsu for a while. I competed in CrossFit for a while. I, I really like hunting, but like the one thing that never left my life was working out in the gym and primarily because you can go do it by yourself. I don't have to rely on anybody. I can get a gym membership to places that open late and open early. I can make it work for my lifestyle. Even when I have a kid, like it's just, and I like being by myself. And when I go, when I go put my headphones on in the gym, especially when I get the like angry look at my face, like people don't talk to you. It's perfect. And, um, so I go on training for like the next 20 years, stays a constant in my life. And this whole time I'm fascinated with bodybuilding for a couple of reasons. Like I kind of grew up training during like the Ronnie Coleman, Jay Cutler era. Like those were the gods of bodybuilding. And so I was always fascinated with the mass monsters. And then, you know, especially like I've always been deeply interested in discipline, especially, and this also goes back to getting sober because there are periods in my life where no matter how bad I wanted something, I w wasn't able to do it just because I lacked the will and I lacked the discipline. And I've realized now getting older in life that it's not always just will and discipline. There's environmental factors that affect our likelihood of success as well. But then other times in my life, I would have the will and discipline and I could watch these miraculous things occur and I'd be able to accomplish these just really, really cool shit. And so the thing that blew my mind about bodybuilding was like it was real life magic because it was essentially somebody would change their body. Obviously there's some help with some pharmaceuticals and what I'm not gonna say <laughs> it's just pure, you know, discipline and will, but essentially by making up your mind, applying effort, sticking to a program, sticking to a diet, you could literally change your body from one shape to another shape. And that fascinated me. But because of, I'd always worked in the forestry industry, which is like 10 and fours. And I'd always traveled for work. I would get like these six month spurts start to put a bit of a decent physique together off in the, off in the bush for a couple months, get back for six months, right. leave for a couple months. So I'd never really had the, like, uh, the consistency required to see what I could actually do. And then I think I was, so I'm 44 now. And I think I was just turning 40 and it, like life was set. Great job, great house, great wife, kids, healthy, Everything's good, living in the same city, not moving, financially pretty well off. So, you know, got, got a little disposable income to, to spend on the hobbies. And I said to my wife, I'm going to do a bodybuilding show. I'm finally going to do it. And here's the other thing. If I'm really honest, I think when wait, I was... Wait, well, hold sorry. On. No, no, Go. you can't just breeze by that. Hang on a second. Okay, okay. You said to your wife, 
I'm just when I say to my wife, I'm just going to do it. It's like the limit of it is I'm going to go get you your favorite beer from a store that's two blocks away instead of three. Right. And you said to your wife instead, just so everybody listening understands the scale here, I'm going to do bodybuilding, sweetheart. And yeah. she just was like, yeah, cool. That's you just I'm going to. And then off you went. And she's been with no me for 10 years. This is like the scale of things I tend to like walk upstairs and say, if it's not that, or it's like, uh, I'm going to go do a solo sheep hunt for 15 days. And she's just like, okay, honey. Like okay. she just, just sm <laughs> smile and nod is my wife's motto basically, because the odds are I'll come back alive at least up to up till now. Right. So I decide I'm going to do a bodybuilding show and I, but I don't want to embarrass myself. So I literally decided to take the next three years to craft a physique that would be worthy of getting on stage. And so I don't know if you bore all the details, but I hired a coach, um, did a bunch of other stuff. Um, and I went from 209 pounds. So six foot one, 209, which is like a, a pretty fit dude, you know, a hiker, a, a big backpacker type thing. And uh, went from 209 pounds in three years to 271 pounds. So I put oh, on six, 62 pounds. Yeah. Now I was a fat fuck. I'm not like, I'm not going to pull any punches. You can go on my Instagram. Like there was a lot of cushion for the pushing, but I'd also put on some ass. And at the end of that three year period, I decided to prep for a bodybuilding show. It took me six months and I went mm -hmm. from crazily enough, 271 pounds to 209 pounds. So exactly the same numbers. And I only yeah. hit that 209 the morning I got on stage. That was the, like the lowest weight I ever was. And I, so it took me three years to put on 63 pounds. And then I lost 63 pounds in six months. But if you look at the two, and I have the two pictures side by yeah, side. Yeah. If you look at the 209 four years ago, and then the 209 that stepped on stage, it's like that, um, you see that Captain America movie when he's like, He's all before he goes through yeah. the whole thing that like turns him into Captain America. It's not that severe, but it's crazy how different like 209 pounds can look on on mm -hmm. one dude. But totally. The other thing is I've got like just might as well bear our souls here. I have a ton of food issues. Like I love food. I love shitty food. I mm. love staying up late night and eating food until I feel sick. Like especially now that I'm sober, it's like one of the only things I got, like I got coffee and I got food. So this is, you've nailed like my <laughs> biggest yeah. issue yeah. is like yeah. donuts for me. Yeah. Love them. Fucking like most people are like, I could have a few donuts. I'm like, yeah, I could have 12. Like I could, I could polish 12 donuts. The box. No like problem. Yeah. Fucking prostitute on payday. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not good. <laughs> no. And same thing. Staying up, like a college students. Yeah. Staying up late, eating yeah. Garbage. That's when it that's when it goes for me. Like I can maintain pretty good during the day, and as soon as like the kid goes to bed and the wife goes to bed and I go downstairs to watch some TV, it's like no holds barred, yep. man. That's... So the idea of a diet scares the shit out of me because it was like I don't I honestly don't know if I'm even capable of doing this. But one of my secrets and the nice thing about having like a decent Instagram account is all the rest of it is like once you put your chips on the table, it's like what are you gonna back out and fucking fail in front of everybody now? Like that social Mm -hmm. um commitment like that's a really powerful oh, tool if you want to wow. use it and so i was posting progress pictures in my underwear and everybody's like what yeah. the fuck are you doing and i'm like you gotta understand this is part of it man like i'm gonna get on stage in a fucking speedo 
in six mm-hmm. months in front of, I don't know, thousand people, like I don't, I'm, that terrifies me. And so I'm going to use that as motivation and I'm going to use that fear and turn it into like productive will and discipline. So the yeah. audience, the real audience was scarier than the Instagram audience to you? That's a great question, man. In my head, yes. God, that's so, your first great question ever. <laughs> it's a first. The, it, the, the Instagram's audience doesn't scare me at all anymore. But I want to preface that by saying I've been doing Mindful Hunter for going on almost seven years now. And I have changed a lot. And I feel like maybe even only in the last six months, do I feel like I've really come into my own and I don't feel the need to prove myself anymore mm-hmm. as a hunter as a fitness guy, as a guy who makes YouTube films, like I feel like my body work speaks for itself. If you, you know, don't believe in that and mm-hmm. you think I'm full of shit, then go fuck yourself because I've done enough and I've built enough and I've created enough that it is what it is. And I also think part of my brand, and that can come off as a cheesy word, but I think it's a good word to explain to encapsulate what it is I'm trying to talk about is like grassroots authenticity like that's what that's what i stand for in the reviews that's what i stand for in my hunting films so that's what i'm going to stand for when it comes to my personal passions and hobbies like bodybuilding i'm just going to be as open and honest sometimes i fail sometimes i succeed but i think the lessons that we can all learn along the way because i think too a lot of the people who follow me they don't have either the resources or the time or they're not in a place in their life where they can do they don't have the luxuries i do to do the types of things that I do, but if I share going through them, then we all get to benefit from mm-hmm. the mistakes and the learnings and the fears. And, but yeah, sure. in my mind, like when I'm training for a hunt, I always have that, like that last piece of like a summit of a sheep hunt. And I keep that in my mind. So when I'm on a treadmill, that's what I play in my mind. Now what I play in my mind is up on stage. So when I practice posing, I'm up on stage when I'm doing my cardio, I'm up on stage. When I get to the gym and I feel like shit, I think about being up on stage. Um, and then that like fear of failure yeah. is, is a really big motivating factor for me. Like I draw a lot of energy from, from that. That's um, I have. Yeah. Wow. So fear of failure. That's great because uh, I, I want to build on that in a minute, but like putting it all on the table, I guess I, also in high school would like frequent the gym. Yep. Right. Like the, one of the first, not one of the first actual books, let's be honest, probably one of the first books I bought was Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding encyclopedia. Loved it. Had it. Yeah. I had both, both, yeah. uh, editions did that for a bit. Did being shitty, kept doing shitty forever. Did going back to the gym, like what, six years ago, I guess. Um, for like a year and then I had my second kid. So that just went out the window. And then recently I just started going back as in like four or five weeks ago now. Okay. Because I've got like a narrowing disc that's like major sciatic pain type thing. Yeah. So I just, I need to strengthen my body to kind of sustain that. And you know, 12 donuts and eating chips while binge watching succession or whatever is not such uh, a good show. Oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> I hate every single person on it with like a flaming white hot passion, but I can't stop watching it. That's the beauty <laughs> of it. But like, that's not helping. Right. So no, for me, like that fear of failure is like every morning, if I have to like get up and like 
rush because one of the kids is sick or something. I'm not hobbling like a feeble old man. And my wife like looks yeah. over and like, oh, God, I got to divorce this geezer and get myself a better model. So that's that's very interesting because it's kind of a, a similar fear of failure. It's just like mine's like actual physical failure and looking <laughs> shitty to the only person that puts up with me aside from these two fuckers. This is something I, I think a lot of people run away from, unfortunately, which is failure in itself. Um, you know, I look at my kid all the time and I always have to step in because as soon as the kid starts to fail at something, it's like the in-law comes running yeah. or the mom comes running and I'm like, fucking back up. Well, yeah, but, but, but what, what's going to happen? She's going to fail. She's going to get upset and she's going to figure out that whatever she's doing ain't working. And then she's going to figure out another way to do it. And she's going to keep trying, or she's going to give up. And then she's going to walk away in about 10 minutes. She's going to start to feel like a piece of shit. And then she's going to realize that when we give up, we don't feel very good about ourselves. Either way, this is a win. The only yeah. thing that's not a win is you robbing those lessons from her by not right. allowing her to feel that failure. Yeah. And I feel the same way about hunting. Like one of the, the most frustrating things I hear from people is, oh, we didn't get anything, but man, we had a really good time and we got to see some new country. And it's like, I get it. I think it's important to focus on the wins. It is. But like, if I'm going to kill something, if I wasn't going to kill something, I'd go camping with my daughter. I wouldn't bring a gun and I'd have hot dogs in the cooler and my truck yeah. would be right there. The goal is for something to die. And if something doesn't die, I fucked up somewhere, it, either in the planning, in the execution, in the, in, in, in the scouting, it, like somewhat, like someone has to own that. And I think being able to recognize failure without feeling like a failure, I think mm -hmm. is a key to growth because then you can like extract the lessons from it without it crushing you. And that, I think that's what people get afraid of. They're like, if I acknowledge the failure, it's going to crush me. And then I'm going to feel like a piece of shit about myself and I'm not going to do anything. Right. And, but I think we can tread that line. And it's like, it's okay that you fail. We all fail. What, what are we going to do about that so that we don't fail next time? Like a huge, for me, 2023 is mentorship. So I have done solo hunt after solo hunt after solo hunt. And I've got my ass kicked after getting my ass kicked after getting my ass kicked. And I have proven to myself and anyone willing to watch a YouTube video that I can go anywhere in North America and survive for two straight weeks. Now, actually killing something and bringing it home is not something I've been able to do. And I realized, okay, 15 years in forestry, 15 years in the coastal mountains of British Columbia. I know mountains. I can go out there. I can survive and come home. But when it comes to my hunting skill set, there's still a lot that needs to be developed. I've only been a serious mountain hunter for the last seven years. That's a blink of an eye compared to dudes who do this since they've been right. growing up. So yeah. for 2023, I sought out legit killers, old, guys that were older than me, guys that had killed more shit than me. And I was like, I want to go hunting together. So my big sheep trip is with another guy. I got a fly in caribou hunt. Um, and a, and a goat hunt that's with another guy. I'm spending some, some, a lot of time with a buddy of mine who's a guide. And like, that's the whole, and that is a result. I wouldn't know that if I wasn't willing to acknowledge why I failed on those hunts. And it's like, and I just think that's really important. And I think we can, we, we, we can benefit from that. I agree. So I think those hunts that are coming up, which, which one are you looking most forward to right now? 
that's tough, man. It's a stacked year. I'm <laughs> like, I've got yeah. more hunts on the books this year than I've ever had, than I've ever had before. Which one which is the one that you've never done before in any way? I'll be honest. I think probably the fly-in caribou goat hunt. Um, I'm a big sucker for insanely remote places and this will be one of the remotest places right. i've ever gone and it's also um, please I've tell never... me you're parachuting in wait <laughs> no no we're not <laughs> that would be badass maybe we'll try and work that into and so, into so a where future is this hunt. where's this hunt so we're flying out of deese lake and we're flying you know somewhere north of there we will be somewhere between deese lake and the yukon border which is essentially like if you're flying in for caribou in British Columbia, there's really, it's a gigantic area that you can go into, but there's kind of only one area that you can, that you so can just, fly just into. Just for dumb me, because my, my geography is not as good. So yep. um, I know the Fort St. James to about Dawson Creek area. How far north of that are we yet? Is it like up to Cassiar? Cassiar is the farthest north place I know of. Yeah, that's, you'd be, you would be closer saying Cassiar. So basically, if Holy if moly. if Fort okay. St. James and and Dawson and Fort Nelson and all that stuff are kind of on the eastern boundary, when you get to Prince George, you're going to take a left instead, and you're going to kind of drive okay. all almost all the way to Rupert, and then you cut up to Dees. It would take me just as long to drive to Dees Lake as it would to Fort Nelson, but from right. Vancouver, they're not. They're I bet you they're even on somewhat similar latitudes. To be honest with you. And then once we get in the in the plane in Dees, we'll be going up north from there. So we'll be pretty pretty close yeah, to the is, Yukon border. That is seriously remote. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're doing these big hunts, like you said, like big mountain yeah. sheep hunts, um, does the bodybuilding does that play into it? Like you said, you train for it. So are you training? Obviously, you're going to be training different because you're not trying to sculpt a physique. But like, do you have to offset that because it's a total different type of training than like, oh, I need to go, you know, hike up. Like you said, like the last, like the thing at the top of mind when training for a goat hunt is always that last peak. I can just imagine you at the gym. You've got like the incline on the treadmill at like 90 and people are just like, the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> Running side steps. So like the hilarious part is it's a complete and utter detriment. Um, it is hunting yeah. for the last three years for me has been terrible. I've probably shaved five years off my knee. The most recent goat hunt that I, well, I did two solo winter goat hunts this year and I did them both at 260 pounds, which is ridiculous. It's, it's wow. not even responsible. And this is my last bodybuilding show. And that's the reason I really had this like coming to Jesus moment. And it was like, you cannot do because I'm pretty close to the show right now, I'm in decent shape. I weigh 227 pounds this morning. I'm probably sub 10% body fat. I'm what you would eat. Like I'm like magazine fit at the moment. Um, this would be okay physically, like this much weight to carry around. But the rest of the year when you're bulking, you're way too heavy. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, so everything is too hard. And also to be honest with you, too much muscle. Muscle requires oxygen and muscle requires carbohydrates. And yeah. when you're backpacking, you don't really need to be that muscular. I like to be a little bit bigger so that your pack doesn't topple you off the side of the hill. But like if I could walk around again at 210, 215 pounds at, you know, 10, 12% body fat, 
like 100%, man. That's that's where I want to be. And at my age, I just, I don't want to beat up my body anymore. So it was a struggle to to um, to fit both things in. And that's yeah. that's the reason the bodybuilding's got to go. I, I and two, Yeah, go. Two seasons ago, when we were on our spring trip, which the three of us have coming up in our very near future, we were, uh, we were dismantling a tree and we had, uh, we had to use the truck for it. Yeah. And I jumped up onto the tailgate and Matt looked at me and he said, thank God we can still do that. <laughs> yeah. And that, that shit stuck in my head like glue. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. We have to start thinking about like actually being able to do stuff that was, we just taken for granted for a while. Yeah. Like that level of fitness is and functional like my kids really seven had to think about it i'm 44 i did the math she's right. gonna be like 13 when i'm 50 like it, yeah she's gonna mm -hmm. want to run around she wants to go to the park i just built a trampoline she wants me to bounce on it with her and that's like i gotta think about you know what kind of body can i have that's gonna let me run around with my kid for the next 10 years 15 years yeah, you and i are the same age and have a child the same age okay know so you know where i come from yeah 100%. understand with this old Santa Claus face staring at you, but <laughs> it's true. I am your future, you poor bastard. So Jay, one of my questions that I had written down for you was going to be, how do your knees survive when you're climbing those hills? Because I was watching videos of you like fucking post-holing snow and my knees hurt. They were in sympathy pain watching you. I'm like, like I sure shit know that my knees could not do that. And it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm far too old to do what you're doing, but I'm not. I'm actually younger than you, so I, uh, <laughs> I yeah. So I do think, while bodybuilding is detrimental to backcountry hunting, I think basic resistance training that I think most guys could do in like two three days a week, like an upper lower body split, you know, some doing some nice heavy squats. Like I think that stuff is really really important. I also spend a shitload of money on taking care of myself and a lot of supplements. Um, and I go pretty intense. Like, so I have a torn meniscus in my one knee and it'll start flaring up from time to time. I could go get surgery on it, but I'd rather just baby it. Cause once they cut it out, it's gone. Um, and for example, I'll use a combination of a couple different peptides like BPC 157 and TB 500. These are technically legal to buy in Canada. They're over-the-counter research chemicals. Um, but you're I like literally... that technically had to have air quotes. Well, because they're not legal <laughs> for human consumption. They're legal for research purposes. But you can go to a website and buy them and not get in trouble for it. Um, right. but, but you're literally sticking a, a syringe in the side of your knee three times a day for two, three months in a row you know, jabbing these peptides in there to try and like generate some new cartilage and get these things to kind of heal up. So I think the takeaway for me is that if now all that being said, I think if I shaved a couple pounds, I think if I had a more moderate workout regimen, and I think if I um, did more backpack cardio leading up into the season, which I can't right now because of the bodybuilding thing. I think the need to do that, like really aggressive aftercare would kind of die down. And that's my hope okay. moving forward. But I've always been of the opinion, if I want my body to do extraordinary things, I need to be willing to do extraordinary things to support it so that it's capable of, of doing it. Hmm. That's fair. 
I hear you. I also I have like arthritis, osteoarthritis in yeah. one and well technically both knees, but it is like yeah, like baby it or get surgery and I'm gonna I honestly I probably don't even baby it, but I'm trying to. <laughs> I think these days too, putting off surgery as long as you can, especially with where stem cells are going and all the rest of it, yeah. like I think there's better non-surgical options for the vast majority of ailments these days. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, yeah, but you know, obviously sometimes it's the best, it's the best option. So going back, I want to go back to failure at hunting for a quick sec. I have two questions for you. This is the one subject we're experts at failing. Well, welcome to the club, man. (laughs) I I don't kill way more often than I kill. So, yeah. So what are you more scared of failing at one of your um, upcoming stacked hunts that you've got coming up or decommissioning that trampoline in eight months when your daughter decides she doesn't want it anymore. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I still have a giant above ground pool torn apart in my shed that we, the and it's the, it's the wife. It's not the kid. Like the wife gets it in her head that we should get a trampoline. And then in three months, nobody will care about when I grew up as a kid, trampolines were like white trash shit. Like where I grew up, it would be like a moss covered, broken down trampoline in front of like the trailer park. And <laughs> so when my wife who comes from like a nice Jewish family was like, we want to get a tramp. I'm like, this is not, this doesn't make sense to me, but I was like, all right, <laughs> those, whatever. Those just appear out of the hedges. Yeah. hundred percent. Don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently not. I got to order them from Lowe's and they get delivered to the front door, but yeah, yeah. I'm not looking forward to taking apart the, the trampoline. And there are two answers to the failing. There is like, there is like the answer the way it is. And then there's the answer that I'm working towards. And the answer, the way it is, is I am scared about failing on not one, but I am scared of failing on everything. You know, I feel really fortunate. I took an elk with my bow last year, but that was the only animal I killed last year. I had this run in like 2019 and I went on six consecutive hunts and I killed, it was 2019 going into 2020. I went on six consecutive hunts and I killed six consecutive times over like a year and a half. And I thought to myself, oh, it's done. This is, I'm a hunter now. Apparently wherever I go, shit just dies. I'm like the plague. And and then after that, I just, it was like the gods just heard the arrogance. Do you know what I mean? And then it, I just got shat on and it was like, it's through no lack of effort. Do you know what I mean? Like, in fact, to be honest with you though, I think it's probably, I think I work myself into failure. I, and that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to go with more experienced people. I think I walk past animals. I think I cover too much ground. I think, I think in my head, I think more is better. And I think the reality of the situation is less is better. I think I need to pick smaller areas to go and hunt. I think I need to have more patience. I think I need to sit still longer. And these are the types of things that I'm hoping to learn this year. That's definitely my biggest problem is sitting still long enough to settle an area. You mean two minutes to look at an entire valley isn't enough? I just, I gotta (laughs) keep moving. So 100%. It got drilled into me this year. So I went on my first goat hunt, literally did not see one goat. I was, I solo hunted for 12 days. I don't think there was a ton up there. 
but didn't find a single one. Then the second goat hunt, I went back to an area I'd hunted before and I made up a, a, a plan in my mind. I said, there's this one bowl and there's these three faces I can glass from this one area if I camp. I hiked all the way in on day one and I set up camp and I did the exact same thing every single day. And I walked out into this clearing. I would glass for three or four hours. I would go have lunch. I would come back out. I would glass for three or four more hours. And by the end of day two, I just started picking them out, man. And it was like, Whoa. they're fucking everywhere. So now I wasn't, they were there. Oh, they were, they were all there. They were everywhere. And it was like, <laughs> all I had to do was sit still. Do you know what I mean now? And then, then there's really interesting questions. Like, are they there, but we're just not seeing them? Because when you glass, you you know, it's like reading in a book. How often do you get to the bottom of the page? And it's like, son of a bitch. The eyes it. went over it, but I couldn't yeah. tell you a yeah. goddamn thing that was on the page. Glassing is like that. You'll just kind of come to. And it's like, I was gritting, but like, I don't even know what I was looking at. So it's like, was I looking and I just didn't see them? Or... Were they in places where they were invisible, like little tucked behind little bushes, and then they just yeah. happen to move that three or four feet that I needed, and now they are actually visible? Or or maybe they weren't even on that hill. And that I just, because I just kept watching the hill for multiple days in a row, I finally caught them as they were like making their way across. Yeah. At the end of the day. part of the hill. Exactly. And at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. I think it matters that that was like the last kind of nail in the coffin for me. And it was like, I didn't come up with these ideas. Like, luckily for me, <laughs> putting up YouTube failures of or YouTube videos of like extravagant failures, people often reach out and it was like, dude, you are working way too hard. And they will like, vets will like, listen, you, like slow down and they'll point out things in the video. Like that you should have walked up this valley and just sat there for a couple of days. And so it was like from comments from people like that, who know more than I do, I was able to like kind of piece this together. But that was the kind of final test for me that I was like, yeah, this is wow. what it, because even when I'm scouting, I look at these like giant areas, like, oh, if I cover eight miles a day, I could walk over here and then go mm -hmm. 12 miles over there. And it's like, I think even that's got to change. Like the, the perspective, the framing, the mindset, it's like, find, I think we're scared of locking ourselves into one little area. So it's like, I want these like county size areas. And yeah. I think that's somehow going to produce more animals. Yeah. You got to, you got to change your strategy to digging in yeah. and looking around. Go deep and narrow, not broad and yeah. wide. And that, so that for those types of animals anyways, like if we wanted to have a conversation about elk and stuff, I think that's a little bit different because they leave so much sign. I think there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot to be said to try and cover a lot of ground and find where they are. But when we're talking like sheep and mountain goat and stuff like that, I think 100% less is more. So your comment about like the whole like glazed over glassing, yeah. um, like that makes a lot of sense because uh, we, Matt and I and Scott have a term it's called uh beer means deer so you can sit there and you look and there's not a single animal and you're just like fuck it and as soon as you crack a beer and you're not paying attention anymore right yeah like you're just you're you're done looking you just sit down crack a beer out of the corner of your eye you look over and all of a sudden there's a deer that clearly did not just show up right. on the center of this hillside in five seconds you're just like oh shit so it's almost like that. The minute you just kind of like stop 
looking too hard yeah. and let your eyes kind of just pick out like that natural movement where you just see like all of a sudden there's like a flick of an ear or like, you know, yeah. that shape just shows up almost, almost peripherally. I think that, I think there's something to that because either that or we're just really dumb. The second season oh, we no. were out dumb. turkey hunting, we had a period where we had split up and we had, we had tried to create, this was me, you and Jade actually, Darren, that season out by Jaffrey. And we mm. had, we had set up to be in a triangle. And so we were going to, so we're all shooting minutes. each other. So we were all shooting each other finally. <laughs> uh, so we could finally die and be Sweet relieved. release. Um, but uh, uh, we had to, to sit for 45 minutes. And while we were sitting, there was, I saw a hawk that had been sitting on top of this like pretty good sized pine tree for a while. And after it settled, it let out a hell of a screech and the ground around me just erupted with rodents. As soon as it screeched, everything that it wanted to eat started running like hell. And I had no idea I was sitting around that much life. Yeah. in that moment. I, I learned about patience that day, but it's just a patience that I just cannot seem to bring to my mind enough yeah. to sit still when I'm out in a, in a hunt with these guys these days. I'm not, a, yeah, yeah we're not a tree stand. We're not tree stand. We have to guys. drive out and shoot it. Basically we have to drive out and find it in 10 minutes. And that's, and if that doesn't happen, then it's, you know, we just wait until the evening where it has to happen in 10 minutes. Well, actually I got a scenario for you. Jay, um, when you're talking about like learning something from your failures, yeah. um, I honestly think like, again, unless you're doing this really wrong, sometimes there's just nothing you can do, right? Like you've done everything right. So the example I'll give you is I've got a piece of land, like a quarter section, and we've put cameras up yeah. and we found a spring, like a natural spring. I put a camera there and for, I shit you not, two weeks straight, from when I put that camera up to the beginning of hunting season, we saw, we saw eight moose, yeah. seven million deer. It was an Attenborough document documentary like, for that period. It was. It, it literally was an LTE camera. It blew my data plan. Like I had to upgrade, and we went out like day one, Matt and I, and we went right above the camera, found a nice, you know, hillside tucked behind bushes where we could see literally almost everything and we sat there for hours through all the times that i had marked that the the animals were coming in we were there for three days and didn't see a single fucking thing yeah. it's like hunting season came on and they're like guess it's holiday and they fucked off to i don't know somewhere else Not no yet. moose no no new no fresh track um lots of like four day old track maybe three day old track but for the three days we were there, and this is like the day before, I had probably like 30 pictures on that camera. Yeah. Not a single animal. And, and we just sat there and like, what did we do wrong? Like, Well, I think there's two explanations. We... One, they know when hunting season is. And I think they know that way more than most people give them credit sure. for. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've been here long enough that we have changed their pattern. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, so that is absolutely an option. And number two, you probably underestimated your own influence. Um, yeah, probably to some degree it's possible. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I did my first real tree stand hunting this year and 
my guide's dad said something very interesting to me, which I hadn't even really considered. And uh, it was like the end of one of the last days. And they put me in one of the better stands. And we got, I, we were over at his place afterwards. And he's like, how much did you see today? I'm like, oh, I didn't see nothing. And he goes, oh, that's because you can't fucking sit still. And I was like, the f- dick. Mm. And then I was like, he's fucking right. Yeah. Like they are so <laughs> yeah. oh. turned on. And it's like, I used to think tree stand hunting was like this hillbilly, easy, go sit up there and like take a poke. And it's like, if you're talking about like switched on deer that are in yeah. like pressured areas and you're trying to kill like big mature bucks, there are few types of hunting I have more respect for after doing that now. Like the amount of time mm-hmm. that you're stuck up there the 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 amount of lack of movement that you get away with and then trying to actually like come to full draw on something and i think i and, and i'm not like a big woo woo energy guy but i think if you're not quiet in your mind you might even think you're quiet in your body but you're not and i think if you're doing like little like like this stuff up there, even if you yeah. think it's not making any noise and you think you can't it see, is, yeah. like those guys are so switched on, man, that they're seeing that from like right. so yeah. far out and they're catching your scent and they're doing other stuff. So that's the other thing I've had to be really honest with myself. Man, you are making me feel a lot better about every season I come back with <laughs> shit all. Hey, <laughs> happy to do it, man. Um, yeah, I was, I was very humbled by my, like, it was legit, like 30 feet up in poplar swaying back and forth in these tiny stands. Like I was just white knuckle, like terrifying for me. Like I hate heights. Like it was, it was a bad, bad week. It was a very humbling experience that I want to go. I want to take another kick at that can, but, um, and they, he's the same, like this guy, this guy runs an extensive cam network in northern alberta and he'll tell you their they'll their their behavior will change drastically on on opening day and depending where you are and how how many people there are too even just hearing gunshots for the first time all those animals will change their behavior yeah fair enough yeah, yeah. so you mentioned being quiet in your mind and not being quiet in your body so that just makes me think of being mindful and I wanted to ask you where does the mindful hunter come from like where's the name mindful hunter come from yeah and, and in your mind I guess it's in mind a lot in your yeah. mind uh, what is yeah what's it mean yeah what is being a mindful hunter yeah so I have to give credit to my mother-in-law so when I was originally starting what is now mindful hunter I was trying to come up with the term and like I couldn't I knew there was a word but I was like at first I started saying modern hunter and I knew it wasn't right but I needed to call like Instagram and YouTube and all the rest of it something and I needed to come up with a logo because that's what you do before you actually do anything is you make a logo uh (laughs) and I'd come up with modern hunter but I I was trying to get at more of like a renaissance man type thing and it was like i couldn't come up with something that didn't just sound douchey like i i also didn't want 
And then, yeah, no word of a lie, man. We're sitting around the dinner table at one of the places that we used to own. Um, and she literally said, no, 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 no. It's mindful hunter. And I was just like, <laughs> holy there. shit. That's, yeah, it. that's it. That's uh, the word. Because yeah. it's like, it's just being thoughtful. Do you know? And, and here's the thing. Like, I am this like classic adult onset hunter. And one of the big differences between someone who grows up hunting and someone who starts hunting later in life is that people who grow up hunting never question it because we never question any of the shit we do since we grew up because you just accept it because that's life. Yeah. But when you start doing things in your thirties, you are like, that's why all the dudes who send me questions like nonstop are dudes who started in their thirties, have more money than they know what to do with now, want to go buy good gear, but they can't stop analyzing shit. So they need somebody to give them some confidence that like this sleeping bag is better than that sleeping bag or whatever. But this like over analytical mind, it kind of plays out along everything that they do. Do you and think so, the products are that big a difference in quality? For the most part, no. No. Huh. And, I, and here's the thing. The gear is not what's going to send you home. You know, it's funny. When you first brought up, brought up the, the quiet mind, I thought you were going in another direction. And that is what sends people home, especially on solo hunts. People aren't capable of being alone with their own minds for that long of a period of time. Nope. Uh -uh. After two or three days, like, dude, the shit that starts to come up, I'm talking like exes you broke up with 15 years ago, shit that happened in your childhood, like, and you just instantly... You will start coming up with excuses that like, oh, I'm being selfish and my family needs me home. And you'll like come up with any, and I know because I've done it. Like I've yeah. gone home early and then driving home, it's like acid in the back of the throat. You're like, you piece of shit. You, you, nobody gives a shit if you're gone. You gave up because you couldn't hack it out there. And luckily I'm analytical enough that I had to say, okay, well, what went wrong? And then, and then it's really just, you lose the battle of the mind. Like, the boots don't matter. The bag doesn't matter. The tent doesn't matter. Like you could go, there's dudes who are killing shit in Carhartts and Mac jackets. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's your mind that's going to say now, realistically, the more comfortable you are, the longer you'll stay out there and the more attention you'll pay while you're out there. So <clears throat> if you have money, don't get me wrong, buy good gear. But at the end of the day, the gear is like 10% of the battle. I think people like to focus on things that make them feel good. And buying gear makes you feel good because you think you solved the problem with money. Focusing on fitness makes you feel good because you can see instant results. Focusing on the type of food you bring makes you feel good because you're coming up with a plan and it's comforting and you can see it there. Animal behavior is a nightmare. So reading books about mule deer <laughs> behavior patterns is not something anybody actually does. Going to like workshops and seminars from wildlife biologists on like, migration corridors is not something anybody does <laughs> going out there and like legitimately scouting that's what the killers are doing but like the rest of you know average joe hunters they, that doesn't make you feel good because you know what you ain't gonna find shit because you don't know what you're fucking doing and you're gonna have to confront that you don't know what you're doing when you go out and scout you don't find anything and so we do the things that make us feel good but unfortunately the things that make us feel good aren't necessarily the things that generate more success for us. And the same thing goes with your mind. That's why I do things like jujitsu, CrossFit, bodybuilding shows. Like I'm looking for ways to train my mind. 
I'm trying to put myself in places of, of deep discomfort and then find ways. I have this pet theory. Self-esteem only comes from accomplishing things which we thought we were incapable of. And so the follow-up question is, well, if you think you were incapable of it, why would you ever even attempt it? And my, my answer is because you had no choice. And so that's where strength and self-esteem comes from. When we're placed, and this happens all the time, man. Family needs something, you fucking get it done. You're going to get in a fight in a kid, you can't run away. I mean, there's my recovery for me is where I got a lot of my strength. A lot of people will face health issues. And then it's like, you better fix this shit or you're going to fucking die. Like those people go mountaineering because once you get halfway up, you got to go to the fucking top now. Like you find situations in life where you remove the safety net and you remove the mm -hmm. back door and you have no choice but to accomplish this now. And when you do those things, and I used to run tree planting crews and I used to tell people, you all have a limit to which you think you are capable of right now. And you think I'm an asshole, but I'm here to tell you that's bullshit. And every time we break that limit and you thought you could plant this many trees and now you're planting this many trees and now you're planting this many trees, eventually you're going to realize that all those limits are bullshit and that the only limit placed on you and your own potential is by your own mind. And once you have control over that mind, then there are no more limits and then you're capable of doing anything you want to do. That's, that's a great explanation. Yeah. That's and you know what, that, that whole thing with like uh, the giving up, right? Yeah. Like getting halfway through and making up an excuse. Yeah. Uh, I know for me, like that happens all the time, right? Like, yep. you know, we'll be out hunting like Matt and Scott and I, and you know, you get to like three thirty four, or whatever, like this is bullshit. Like there's no deer here or whatever. Yeah. Let's just give up and go have a few drinks. And then you just kind of like, well, we might as well stick it out till sundown. And then sundown, there's a buck standing on the ridge or like recently when I'm, you know, going to the gym at lunch hour or whatever i got like a few more to do but i'm like i should get back to work and then yeah same thing i, I tell myself like they don't fucking care that i'm not at work nobody gives a shit about no. me no. like 20 minutes like no one no one's gonna fucking care like nobody yeah why don't I just do it yeah yeah, yeah the that's, only uh, rule i have now man is i don't quit and 90 percent of the animals i've killed i've only the only credit i can take is that i just didn't stop I didn't come, it was no through like brilliant strategic planning or deep knowledge of animal behavior. It was like, just, just kept pounding ground, just kept, just kept not quitting. And then is there such a thing as out. deep knowledge of animal behavior? Like you said, yeah, man, go look at fucking Ryan Lampers, Remy Warren, you know, like these guys are in like, they can go to Hills and like, and I've gone to Arizona hunting enough times now. And I've been with guides enough time now. When you watch the way those people glass, it's not luck. Do you know what I mean? Like they have a deep understanding. And it all comes down to basic biological needs, right? We need to eat, we need to sleep, and we need to procreate. And so one of those three things is going to, and like we'll, we'll throw water in with eat. Like we need nourishment. I'll say food, water, sleep, and procreation. Those four things are, are what drives every single decision an animal makes. Now, if you can understand the motivating factors behind those four resources for those particular animals, and the problem is it changes. Like I, I, I drew a mule deer tag in New Mexico this year. So I'm going to be headed to New Mexico in January. 
New Mexico mule deer are not British Columbia mule deer. So whatever I know about mule deer here, which is fuck all anyways, is not going to help me hunt. At least not most of it is going to help me hunt mule deer in New Mexico. So like, are the, are the mule deer in BC just as dumb as they are in Alberta? I don't know. I've been, I've, I've, I've never actually killed a mule deer in We've killed them. BC. That's right. how dumb ours are. The right. three of us have all killed mule deer here. Yeah. Therefore, it's, it's, it's something you're clearly dumber than yours. Every time we've killed a mule deer with other mule deer. Yeah. 70 to 90% will fuck off. And then like three will go over to the dead right. mule deer and be like, Oh, what's wrong are with they big mule deer? Cause here's the thing. The little ones are dumb. The big ones. Nah, they're, they're good size. I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're, they're good size. Okay. All right. But yeah, they, they come and they're like, let's yeah. just stand broadside and check out what happened to Bill. Fair enough. And you're like, oh, fuck. We could just hit him with the truck at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I need to find me some dumb mule deer in, in British Columbia deal for it. sure. He just walked right up to it and he said, will you just go get in my freezer? Yeah. And the mule deer was like, Arr, and just Sounds right good. In. I'm hot anyway. Yeah. So, mule, okay. Mule deer in New Mexico. Matt, I think you wanted to know about us tags didn't you so i've i've never never applied never i've thought about it but i have not the first inkling on if i'm a canadian citizen and i want to go hunt in the states what you were you were saying like you you said piece of piss but what what does that mean what oh yeah it's a joke okay for starters episode four and episode five of the mindful hunter podcast they're like an hour and a half each i break down seven different states how to apply so if anybody listening wants like actual deep information just go listen to those two episodes here's the thing as a non-resident of a state they don't care where you're from like if you want to go hunt in washington there's only two categories for people who hunt in washington residents and non-residents so if you're a non-resident in California, if you're a non-resident in New Zealand, if you're a non-resident in Canada, it does not matter. There is zero difference. You are the same huh. person. The only exception to that rule is Alaska. I think we're called non-landed aliens or there we we you have to be an American citizen to hunt in Alaska. Oh, that's some a Sarah guy. Palin sound and shit right there. Yeah, it's the yeah. only now yeah. I can't complain Could've much though because our, I can't even go hunt in your territory anyway. And I'm a I'm a Canadian. I need one of you guys to invite me over and sign a little slip of paper, but I can drive yeah. to Montana and buy a mule deer tag over the counter and go hunting every year if I want to. Yeah. Really? So it yeah. like uh so it's it's archery is mainly open and rifle is is hard to get. No, is that the, that the guess? The, the thing is, the United States is far superior at game management compared to us. I'm just going to say it. If it might piss people off, they just haven't looked at the records. So primarily, states will either be opportunity focused or trophy focused. So they're either trying to grow really big animals or they're trying to let lots of people go hunting. And that will be the kind of guiding force of their game management decisions. But almost all states are going to be primarily archery focused during rutting seasons. So all Western states, no one's hunting elk with a rifle in all of September. No one, unless you're in Utah. That's the only state which I think is, I don't understand why anybody else is doing it. You can call them and they will run up to you 
40, 40, 40 yards from your face. I don't understand why you need a rifle to kill an elk <laughs> in the rut. And I would, and it makes, and if, if you're thinking about it from like a, a revenue generation standpoint, if you're looking at how many elk you're going to kill with a rifle in the rut compared to how many elk you're going to kill with a bow in the rut, you can sell 10 rifle tags or you can sell 100 archery tags. Either way, 10 animals are dying. You know what I'm saying? So they can generate a ton more revenue. That being said, let's take a look at a state like Montana because Montana is kind of like Canada and the hunting is kind of similar. It's a short drive. It's easy to get to. So in Montana, it is a draw for your non-resident big game combo license. So for 850 bucks, you get a mule deer tag and an elk tag. Now this is, it's, it's like a general season mule deer tag and elk tag, which means it's open for all of archery and it's open for all of rifle. And it's open for probably... 65 to 70% of the state. There are premium mm. units and areas that require more points to draw, but there's a lot of areas that are not difficult, that, that are all just in this big giant open season category. Right now, it takes anywhere between one and two points to draw this non-resident big game combo. Some people get it in their first year. Some people have to wait for their second year. And you can buy a bonus point for 50 bucks. So let's say somebody <laughs> wanted to go hunt Montana in 2024, right? It's 2023. You got to plan a year out. What I would tell you is that in June, their bonus point only season opens up. So you literally just type in Montana game and fish bonus point application. You log in, you create an account. You just need your driver's license number and an address. It takes two minutes. You buy a $50 bonus point. And then next year in March, when the application period opens, you, you, you're starting now with one bonus point already. And so you would apply for the non-resident big beam combo. You'd have probably a you know 50 to 60% chance of drawing it. If you drew it, you would have an elk, tier, an elk tag and a mule deer tag that would essentially be good for three months each. And for... Oh, yeah. The month of September, you could hunt it with a bow. And if you were unsuccessful, you could go home. And then I think elk and mule deer are both open to like November 25th from October 1st. And so anytime so in the following just... seven weeks, you drive back down, you're hunting the same tag, and now you bring your rifle with you. The only caveat is you need to leave yourself about six weeks to apply for the permit to bring your rifle into the states but it's it takes right. two seconds it's super easy to fill out i've gotten mine back in normally seven to ten days but they're really clear on the website that this could take up to six weeks and the nice thing about a bow is that you need zero paperwork because it's not a firearm and you can just drive back but in forth. in montana couldn't you just grab a rifle at the gas station or the 7-Eleven <laughs> probably could walmart or the <laughs> yeah. bank yeah. or yeah. toys r us of american spirit cigarettes yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's so cool. it's 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 like not it. hard, man. It's uh, you know, wading through the bureaucracy of it is a little overwhelming at first because like game and fish sites are not known for their sophisticated user experience. So it takes a little while to kind of figure out like what's going on. And I if, if this is something people want to get into, because all of the western states are governed by a bonus point system, except for New Mexico and kind of Idaho. Um which means if you really want to hunt like 
seriously premium tags at some point. It's going to be like a 10, 15 year long-term game plan to kind of build those points. Um, and if that's something that interests people, I highly recommend that the website go hunt because they have this, um, they have these filtering tools and you can like look up and see what units have the big trophy classes and how many points it takes to draw, you know, this animal in this state and all the, all the rest of it. So it, it's not nearly as difficult as you think. Meat's easy to bring home. I've been lucky. I've hunted Montana, Texas, Wyoming, New Mexico, Arizona, and Maui. Maui? Yeah. Maui's a blast. What was on Maui? Um, I don't know. I wonder if you can see him from here. Everything is on Maui. Maui's a strange island. You see that goat? Oh, yeah. Is that a... What do they call it? It's like I think it's like an ibex, like a Spanish ibex. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they are, yeah, they're like. Um, sorry, give me a sec. Um, kind of free range, like they're a, they're a bit of a nuisance species. So, I think I paid. It was a guided hunt, and it wasn't crazy. Like it might have been a thousand bucks or something. But you're there for a week with your wife, and you just bring your bow with you, and take off at one morning at four o'clock in the morning and just go hunt and then come back to your, to the four, the four seasons covered in blood and yeah. getting out of the rent-a-car and camo. And everybody's <laughs> like, the fuck is that guy doing? Yeah. Thousand bucks? Place, I think so like, for the goats, like goats and pigs are cheap yeah. as shit. Axis is gets pricey, especially during some seasons, but like you can go arrow a goat or arrow a pig for, cheap yeah i'm pretty sure it was like I, 900 bucks or a thousand bucks i just uh, paid that to take my kids on the shittiest horseback ride on the beach in mexico oh wow yeah yeah you fucked for yeah. 45 minutes a thousand bucks yeah but yeah. i had an elk burger on not maui, the best decision the elk lived on maui before it was in my face parts everything oh, lives on maui maui yeah. is a crazy island maui's a crazy that's island. because uh nixon roosevelt Brought all that shit over for hunting. That would have been yeah. Roosevelt. It wouldn't right? have been Nixon. That's not Nixon. No, Roosevelt was a crazy hunter. Yeah, it would have been Roosevelt yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. So Jay, have you heard on uh, the Hawaiian Islands? There's uh, there's a feral cattle. I've heard or, about it, but I don't know anything about it. It's. Uh, I just. I thought it would be a uh, for the, the game that the the tastiest of tasty animals you could possibly hunt. You go yeah. hunt a 2,000-pound feral cow that's climbing the hillsides in some tropical paradise. What I thought it would be pretty cool. What does a feral cow do? Like, feral pigs are fucking terrifying. Yeah. What does a feral cow become? I don't know. I know they have them on Haida Gwaii. I used to, I used to work on Haida Gwaii, and there's, like, a herd of feral cows. And they kind of turn into these Brahmin-looking things, like, mm. super shaggy and, like, Pretty rough around the edges. And I think they're skittish too. Yeah, probably. It would make sense. Yeah. Huh. Some of their instincts came back. Yeah. It only takes pigs, apparently, like a matter of months to go feral. Yeah, they I go feral it, fast. Yeah, I thought they'll it like change hair like color, they thicken up, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like Grow those feral pigs people shit. see are like kind of genetically speaking, yeah. the same pigs as like the little pink ones. Wait, they're yeah. not the yeah yeah. They don't have to actually like breed themselves to become feral. They can just no. Take they a, no, they turn feral. Learned, like if you let they a normal feral. pig loose in in a very short 
period of time, it will it's like, like if you change ran its away from appearance. home right now and you grew tusks, <laughs> yeah, Matt. Right. That's that's what like in a month you'd just be like pa, just yeah. tusks. Matt's, Matt's <laughs> pig DNA would kick in. It's likely what would happen if I left around my with yeah. hair Where's on our shoulders chips? trying to dig in the mud. Yeah. I think that's what would happen if all our wives were gone. We'd instantly 100%. become feral without any any sort of actual life skills left. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I know we're we're running tight on time. Um, we do sometimes uh, lately have a little section called "Guest to Know You," where we just ask you a few questions, maybe a little bit of trivia. Is that something you're interested in doing? You yeah, can win out. a T-shirt as long as you play. Wow, that, that, that sounds like my kind of odds. Yeah, <laughs> better than better odds than hunting. Yeah, better odds than drawing a tag in New Mexico. God, yeah, I I'm excited to see your. I'm excited. So here's a, here's a, this is why you always got to try anyway. So the tag I drew in New Mexico, there was 123 applicants and six tags. So I had a 7.4 chance, 7.4% chance of drawing that tag. And I, and I, and I won it. I've only ever applied in New Mexico twice. First time I got my elk tag. Second time I got my deer tag. And so I'm just quitting now. I'm never applying in New Mexico again. Yeah. You, yeah, you, right. won, you won the game. Yeah, and I've, that's it. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've won life. Your lightning I quit. strike. Go out on yeah. top. It's like winning a hand at the casino. I'm just, I'm walking. Totally. Yeah. And unless you can win more the next time. No, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no. But just, just one more. Matt's not Every year, Matt. Um, okay, some questions for you. Yeah, let's do it. What is one animal that you absolutely love hunting or would love to hunt? And what is one that you're just not interested in at all? That's just like a full nope. And you can't like pull like giraffe or rhinoceros, like no shitty animals. That's fair. Um, <laughs> Give it like puppies. Puppies isn't my, an answer. My answer used to be elk. Like elk was my favorite animal to hunt my current answer has to be sheep um i tend to focus on the thing i haven't been able to do i've been fortunate enough to mm. take two elk with my bow um so i feel like i've I'm, there's still a lot more left for me to do in the elk woods but i have not yet killed a sheep so the sheep is the one that's important for me if we were going to go north american species i don't feel super drawn to killing a pronghorn i i would like to oh, i'm interested yeah. in it but it's not the one that like keeps me up at night and is like guiding my application strategy and is like i think they're super cool i think they look amazing but i don't find a big like draw there's other things i haven't got to hunt like lions and wolves um that I really, really want to hunt and I just haven't had the opportunity, but I think, yeah, pronghorn, I, I you know, I'd be into it, but it's not the thing that I'm going to, you know, book time off work to do anytime soon. So speed goat is a, uh, a very tasty animal in my opinion. Okay. Uh, but they are not the hardest thing to hunt. They are right. you. So I personally haven't done one myself, but my friends that have is you go out the day before season, you spot yeah. them that night. They do not move the next morning. You creep up on that location and you wait for sunup and you take your target. 
That's that's and I think that might be one of the things like when I've watched a lot of pronghorn or antelope, you know, rifle hunts, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know, man, that doesn't just it doesn't really fire me up. You know what I mean? They're sniper. They're sniper animal. Yeah. That's yeah. it. You can it's, only shoot them from a great distance. They're yeah. too fast to shoot on a lot of respect for dudes who do it with a bow. Like I've watched dudes it, yeah. just kill themselves. It, that interests me. Definitely. But again, I also feel like I, I need to up my skill set quite a bit before that's like pretty varsity level shit. You do get some good country for pronghorn. Right? Right. So if you're down around Cyprus and you want to like set up a tent, look at night sky and stuff like that, that's beautiful country down right. there. Yeah, that's a good point. Southern Alberta with its uh, flat expanse of prairies makes uh, that archery hunt crazy. Very hard. Trying, yeah. to, trying to find a, a knoll to hide behind and... Uh, yeah, the herd mentality, they spot you, and once they see you, bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. You have to Dude, become a scrub brush. Or yes. just like a, a tuck, into a, tuck into a slough and come out of the water like a pocket <laughs> now. Yeah. Right yeah. at dawn. There's, that is a t-shirt we immediately need to print. <laughs> tuck into it. a slough. <laughs> tuck into a slough. Uh, okay, next question I got for you. Name one brand in like the, I guess I'll just stick with hunting space that you think is absolutely killing it and why this is tough because mine for reviews man god this is tough you know what i'm gonna go i'm gonna go a little left field and i'm gonna go kawa um someone who uh makes glass spotting scopes in particular they also make binoculars i recently did an extremely little shameless plug here comprehensive spotting scope review Mm -hmm. and for price, no one can touch Kawa. And I would even argue their fluorite crystal is going toe-to-toe with Swarovski. And I think oh, wow. if people can put the brand bias aside, I've talked to some seriously legit glass nerds, and that Kawa fluorite crystal might even have a slight edge on Swarovski, and it's about 60% of the cost. Now there's still yeah. some durability issues and like some sleek design. It's not quite as sexy. Like fair enough. If you have unlimited funds, Swirl's still always the way to go. But like I had that Kawa um, 88, and I think it retails for American. I want to say 3600, and the Swirl 3400, and the Swirl was 4600. So it was like 1200 oh, American dollars, which is almost 1600 Canadian dollars cheaper. And for the optical experience, uh, the Kawa was toe-to-toe with everything that the Swaro had to offer. It's and they're really a, hard to make better crystal, but it's yeah. very easy to make better designed ergonomic yeah. 100%. And they've been making glass. They're That's originally a, a Japanese company that got bought by an Aust- Austrian company. So their pedigree is right. Like they're in the right place in the world doing the right thing. Um, and I, so there, there's a hunting brand that I got a lot of respect. Yeah. Nothing's for. gone wrong when the German and Japanese have worked together on things before <laughs> nothing. Never. Uh, thanks Scott. Um, okay. I got a couple, little bit of, oh, you're not going to ask me the brand I hate. Oh, what's the one you hate? Do oh, it. Vortex. Oh. Fuck. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Oh, why? Sorry. I know. I know. Don't say sorry. I just, I'm yeah. curious as to why. Um, I, I believe they're shady. I don't believe they, okay. they are. And here's the thing. When you have like one of my biggest gripes in the hunting industry, 
So my wife owns a magazine and she introduced me to this term called advertorial, which is when you pay for space and you make it look like editorial, but it's paid for. So it's an advertisement. That is essentially all of hunting. All of these schmucks on YouTube who are running around holding up these products while they hunt and pretending that they're giving you their personal opinions are bought and paid for by those companies. And I don't care if you're sponsored. I don't care if you have product placements in your video. I care when you tell people who trust you that you've tested several different products and this one is the best, but you're getting a paycheck from this one. That I have right. a serious problem. And it's been going on for far too long. And Vortex is the biggest culprit. Like Steve Rinella will tell you Vortex is the best glass. Greg McHale will tell you Vortex is the best glass. No one on the planet can keep a straight face and tell you Vortex is the best glass. Now, if you want to tell me it's the best value glass, we can start to have a conversation. But when you tell me it's the best glass, you're just lying. And if you're lying, you're trading your integrity for a paycheck. And at that point, I say, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Now, Vortex is the one that is incentivizing them to do this. They're not just placing products. They're asking them to say these things about these products. Plus, I've reviewed a ton of Vortex. Their marketing material is obtuse. They will not, they use proprietary gibberish jargon terminology for everything under the sun. Like when I was looking at Swaro, Zeiss, Maven, Kawa, and Vortex, and I was trying to find out like fluorite contents of glass and uh, magnesium properties of armored casings and, you know, uh, what the rubber was made of for eye cups. Every single one of those companies just open up the website. The shit's just listed there. Go to Vortex and it's like this like gibbledy gobbledy gook of just this. And it's just like, just tell me what it is. Like, why do you have to, why has everything got to be bullshit? And it's got to be bullshit because it's cheap junk Mm -hmm. and you're spending so much on marketing to push it. Now, all of this being said with the lifetime warranty and some of their products, like I think the Razer HDs aren't a bad set of binoculars. Their spotting scope is not good. I can't say the spotting scope is good, but like those Razer HDs are not bad binoculars. But don't try and say that they're like an EL from Swaro or a Victory SF from Zeiss. Like it's just bullshit. And so that bothers me, man. Like that is the ethos of your very brand. And if what you stand for is feeding bullshit to people, then I'm going to call you out every chance I get, because I just, I don't have time for that. Like I know these people on a first name basis that like you guys, they're working, they got young families. We all have limited budgets. We spend a shitload of time and energy making these decisions about the gear we want to buy. And when we have people that we've been told we can trust openly lying to us about shit, like it's just, just fuck off, man. It's just stop it. Like make an advertisement, look like an advertisement and let editorial look like an editorial. Like it's just, it's enough. Stop it. So yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you're not bought and paid for by 
Vortex or <laughs> I However, don't use just, any and all sponsorships here. from anybody. I've never accepted. That doesn't mean people don't send me free gear, but every company that sends me free gear is warned that I may rip it apart. There are no guarantees given for any of my reviews. I'm open and honest about the products that I'm given. I usually, after one season, end up giving them away to the member of the members of mindful reviews and it costs money to belong to mindful reviews it's only five bucks a month but i'm honest do you know what i mean like there's a really interesting thing like if we, and i'm sorry to go off on this tangent and this will be the last thing that i go on but i was talking about this the other day you know you have a brand you have a product and you have a consumer and so most people think they're the consumer and they're actually the product. So when you're watching yes. YouTube and you're watching a YouTube video or you're listening to like a major sponsored podcast, you think you're the consumer of this content, but you're not. You're the product that's being sold to the brand. And the podcast host or the YouTube influencer is selling your time, attention, and your wallet to that brand in exchange for money to convince you to go buy something. And so the first thing I like to say to everybody, and I know this from like the data world, like if you get an app for free, that app ain't free. It's tracking where you're going. It's sending analytics to somewhere. Like you are the product. Like if you're not paying for something, you are most likely the product. And I think what people need to realize in the hunting industry is that you've been living under the illusion that you're the consumer when actually you're the one that's being sold to the brands. Hmm. That makes sense. Anyways, um, I'll get off my soapbox. No, no that no, was uh, that's very uh, insightful. Okay, I mean, mindful, mindful reviews. I have not heard about that. What Matt, hang that? on. We just got to do a word from our sponsor, Vortex. Oh, <laughs> 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 oh awkward. Um, okay, here's the five minute pitch for mindful reviews. So I started a community platform six months ago it's a membership-based community platform and we do this to keep out the trolls there's a monthly annual or lifetime subscription now when you join mindful reviews no matter what membership you use you get instant access to the community we have over 160 members already there's forums you can chat with people if you're thinking about a new piece of gear to buy you post what you're looking at everybody chimes in with their experience it's like a personalized rock slide without the trolls in that regard. Now the benefits come at once a month, I do a major gear review and I raffle off one or two of the winning pieces of gear. So when I did this, the spotting scope review, I raffled off a Swaro ATX 85 millimeter. So it's about a $6,000 scope. Tickets were 40 bucks. I sell 125 tickets to cover the six grand that I had to go pay for the scope. Nobody gave me the scope, no sponsored bullshit. And I'm just looking to break even because I needed to get the scope to review it. And you have to be a member to buy the raffle tickets. So right. sold 125 raffle tickets and one mine for review member who bought one ticket for $40, went home with a $6,000 spotting scope. Next week, I'm comparing the um, Stone Glacier Solus one person four season tent against the Hilleberg solo four season one person tent. I've taken them both on multiple solo goat hunts. 
I will compare them both. I'll do a big hour long, crazy technical review like I always do. And at the end, I will raffle off both those tents. Tickets are going to be 25 bucks a piece. And you won't know, you just buy a ticket. And then I just buy two winners. So if you won, you don't know which one. So that's the other thing that gets you. And then finally, for the lifetime members, once a month, I draw a prize that's valued at about 500 US. I happen to have this month's prize right here. So this is a brand new slick 634 tripod with a Wiser Precision Nighthawk PH170 ultralight pan head valued at about, I don't know, 550, 600 bucks US for the pair. And at the end of the month, I just put all the lifetime members names in a hat and I pick one out and they win this. And mindful reviews was my attempt to say, fuck you to the system that I was fed up with the way that people were being lied to. And then I'm like, put your money where your mouth is. If you think this is broken, do something better. So mindful reviews is my way. I still got to make a living. I want to do this full time. I want to hunt. I want to review gear and I want to help people become better hunters and buy better gear. How do I do that? I'm going to start a community. I'm going to be honest with you in this case. You pay to join. I'll take your money. I'll buy gear with it. I'll review it and we'll create a big ass community of, of no bullshit together. So that's what mindful reviews is. That's that fucking awesome. a great idea. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mindful-reviews.com. <laughs> Mindful-reviews.com. Slash Vortex. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I was also wondering about Mindful Reviews, so that's actually a very informative. Yeah, yeah and it's re the, the power comes as we grow. Like watching it get bigger and bigger and having other people who even know more than I do kind of come in and help everybody out and like, you know, guys like yourself, like there's a, like, it's mostly people, like there are some legitimate killers in there, but I'm not going to lie. Like most of it is guys in their third, fourth and fifth years who are like kind of figuring stuff out and want a place to go where they can ask questions and not get yelled at, and not have people, you know, bark down at them in a condescending tone. And it's like, that's the type of community that I'm, that I'm building. And then let's, let's try and win some free shit while we're doing it. That's cool. So not Reddit or Twitter. Correct right yeah, hence the it. paywall like yeah that's another thing so i come from like this behavioral sciences background and there's a lot of research that there's a reason you should have to pay to get into something because people just don't value shit that's free and they treat it as such totally i wouldn't want to be part of any club that would have me <laughs> yeah. it's that whole thing right yeah. fair enough okay well that's awesome um okay got a couple quick kind of trivia terms things right. that we're going to ask you what they mean. Let's do it. Some of them are BC related. Some of them are Alberta related. Some of them are hunting related. Some of them are easy. Some of them are dumb. All right. All right. First one. Skookum. Oh, um, how what do skookum I describe mean? skookum? I mean, it's good. If something's skookum, it means it's good. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Right on. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Poco. Oh, poor Coquitlam. Okay. That's where my Abby? team is. <laughs> for I, I didn't know there that. There you go. Okay. Yeah. What's uh what's a buckle bunny? Oh, is that a rodeo chick? A girl who follows dudes on the rodeo? That's gotta be an Alberta term because we That's sure the Alberta that one. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> wow. That's that one's straight Berta. 
That's awesome. Um, okay, hunker. Like hunker down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I only threw that in because Scott fucking hates that term, and I don't know why. Oh, it's like fuck. <laughs> it's pretty industry Never standard. Worry. I feel. Um, okay, spiker. Oh, little deer, little spike, spike buck. Yeah, little one one point. Yeah. Uh, push and bush. I'll take both definitions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to go, it could be, I'm, I, I'm just kind of pulling this out of my ass. One could just be hiking through thick bush. The other one I'm thinking maybe could be a deer drive. Like push and bush to scare them out into, into somebody who's watching. Yep. That's it. That's the one. Um, this one's a little bit gear related and I'm, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but Hey, uh, what is a, a, a reticle? Okay, so the reticle, it, there's a different kinds of reticles, but it is, is essentially the shape or the line or the figure that is in your scope that allows you to choose where the shot placement goes. I have a fire dot reticle in my loophole, and it's simply two crosshairs with a red dot in the middle. Nailed it. Yeah, I knew these were too easy. Okay, last one. You, in this one, you have to use it in a sentence. Use the word chuchin in a sentence. I'm, I'm stumped on chuchin? This determines whether the shirt you get has sleeves or not sleeves. <laughs> Do I look like a guy who wants sleeves on my shirt? It also cuts off right about right about here. Oh yeah, right look little crop top. Yeah. I'm gonna I got I gotta I gotta tap out on that one, man. I don't even know what chuchin is. Just make means. something up. Go for it. Uh, it was a chuchin good time. Yep, oh, that works. Yep. Yeah, we'll take good. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we use it just as like, it's going. Like, All right. if you're it's fermenting going. beer it's and it's fermenting, happening. it's chuchin. It's if your chuchin. fire's raging, it's, it's chuchin. It's chuchin, yeah. All right. Yeah. We had a pretty chuchin conversation. It's going yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, you win. Awesome. Yeah. You won a t-shirt. Congratulations. Fantastic. Um, Yeah, awesome. This has been... Uh, this has been really great. Uh, thank you for agreeing to come on and chat with us and share your experiences and your insights, which were many more than our own insights. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure, guys. My pleasure. And how um, are your knees still together? I still don't understand. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Bubblegum and duct tape, my friend. When's your bodybuilding competition? June 3rd. I June. got uh, five weeks and five days to go. Oh man. Good luck. Thank you very um, much. Yeah. Wish you yeah. the best. Um, yeah, we're going to go sign up for mindful reviews. Please do. Yeah. Love like, to have you. Uh, I like stuff. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, um, we'll definitely, uh, keep following you and, uh, be chatting online with you. Hopefully. Appreciate it. And thanks again for inviting me on and make sure send me the link or whatever, when it's posted, and I'll make sure to, to give it some love on social media. I really appreciate it guys. Appreciate it. Okay. okay. Thank thanks you, sir. Again, guys. It was great meeting you all. I really appreciate yeah. this. You too, Absolute man. pleasure. Have all a great right. night. Yeah. You too. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Lads. What a the nice guy. Beauty, I think, is the term that one is. Yeah. So we've never said so little in a whole hour and a half. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. What an intelligent, what a nice guy. Like, I, I cannot, I, I totally understand how he has such a great following on uh, his podcast. He can yeah. talk. Mm -hmm. He's mindful. He's just a genuine. Yeah. What a gem vastly better than anything that at, at, at everything than us.
Right. See, even that yeah. sentence I couldn't even get out. Yeah. Uh, 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 mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He accomplishes for real what the three of us try to do all together, but he does it by himself. Oh no, no. Yeah. We've never accomplished anything close to what he does. So <laughs> we right. yeah. we try to do a yeah. little bit and he just like ah, I'm gonna do it year after year. And I'm gonna tilt kill six things in a year by traveling around and just yeah. Man, the amount of hunts he's done in the US. Bananas. I, yeah. I didn't realize the idea it was of so taking a bow to Maui simple. and shooting something with it is crazy to me. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, yeah, I just did that. I was there for like three days and I went and murdered something and then took it home. I planned for Brilliant. a year to go hunting with you guys. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how do you do? Terribles. One time I forgot <laughs> bullets. <laughs> no, we eventually went back to town and got new bullets. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah. Mindful reviews, mindful hunter. Jay Nichols, absolute beauty. And I guess on that note, uh, we only have one thing left to say, Matt. Keep on chooching. Keep on chooching. Hey, nobody. Don't forget to check out mutteringpines.com for our line of apparel and follow us on social and anywhere you listen to or watch your favorite podcasts. And remember, keep on chooching.